Hello everyone, and welcome back to New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast. I'm your host, Crawford Gribben, and today my guest is Jeffrey S. MacDonald. Jeff is a pastor of Avery Presbyterian Church in Bellevue, Nebraska, and he's also an affiliate professor of church history at Sioux Falls Seminary in Omaha. He's also the author of a new book, John Gerstner and the Renewal of Presbyterian and Reformed Evangelicalism in Modern America, just published by Whitf and Stock. Jeff, it's great to have you in the show. Great to be here. And congratulations on your book. Before we begin talking about the book, about John Gerstner, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, um, I've been a Presbyterian pastor uh, for a little over 12 years, and my family is Presbyterian, um, and my my dad worked in various colleges as a, as a coach uh, for the first 15 years of his working career, and then he became a pastor, and so um, he's been a pastor for about 25 years now, and uh, the church that he serves is left Presbyterian Church USA about 10 years ago and joined the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and I also, um, the church that I serve now uh, left the Presbyterian Church USA and joined the Evangelical Presbyterian Church um, a few years ago as well, so I have roots in the in the Presbyterian Church USA, but now all of our family is in what is known as the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Now, you, that, that that very rich ecclesiastical background is something which informs the way you approach your subject in this book, isn't it? John Gerstner and the renewal of Presbyterian and Reformed Evangelicalism in modern America. What's the background to the book, Jeff? How did you come to write this project? Well, I, I felt that um, I wanted to do something um, with kind of evangelical Presbyterian history, and um, I had read a biography of W. Stanford Reed that Don McLeod had written, and uh, that was just a, a great book about a Canadian evangelical Presbyterian histor- uh, historian. It really told the story of you know, evangelical Presbyterian Presbyterian in Canada um, very well, and so I was inspired by that book uh, to look for someone similar here in the United States, someone who uh, worked within the mainline church and was an evangelical Presbyterian historian. And so I, I knew about John Gerstner, and um, that's what led me to, to write to write on him. And, and I also felt that Gerstner um, and the old United Presbyterians um, really had been neglected within the field of Presbyterian history. And so I felt, uh, I felt called to, to write on him and, and to tell his story and to, to show the, the influence that he had in, in, in you know, developing evangelical and reformed evangelicalism. Now, you, you, you describe this project as an exercise almost in denominational history. That's a very, very modest way of approaching it, Jeff, because your subject, for all that Gerstner may not be a household name uh, nowadays, the subject of your book is someone of enormous importance in what has become one of the fastest growing and perhaps most intellectually influential movements within Protestantism, at least in the West in the last couple of decades, isn't that right? What, what, one of the things that you show here is that the surge of Calvinism uh, through evangelicalism in the West over the last couple of decades has a number of really key individuals who work behind the scenes uh, to, to, to facilitate and to enable 
the, the establishment of, of major organizations or, or ministries which go on to achieve enormous success and influence, um, catapulting this movement onto the front page of Time magazine uh, 10 years ago. So if I was to say to you, who is John Gerstner? Uh, why does he matter? And why have we not heard about him before? How would you respond? Yeah, well, well John, John Gerstner, um, who was born in 1914 and grew up in, in Philadelphia, and his parents, um, you know, were not Christian believers. He said that he had no Christian influence growing up as a, as a young person. And it was uh, really through um, a, a girlfriend in high school who took him to a United Presbyterian Church there in Philadelphia. But even even after attending that church, you know, he really had not uh, committed his life uh, to Christ. And he became... Um, uh, made a decision for Christ while while touring a, a Bible college in Philadelphia, and he asked the, the dean of the school, you know, what do you teach here? And the dean shared with him the gospel message. And when Gerstner left the school that day, and he was walking down the steps. That's where he said he made his decision for Christ. And um, he took some summer courses there, but his involvement in this United Presbyterian Church. Um, led him to go to a uh, United Presbyterian school out in western Pennsylvania called Westminster College. And there he played a, uh, he was a very active, um, actively participated in the life of the school and was a, a very good student at the college. And there he studied under a person named John Orr, who was uh, an evangelical Presbyterian um, theologian and philosopher and who had been a student of Benjamin Warfield and of J. Greston Machen, and uh, or um, became a lifelong influence uh, on John Gerstner. And um, after studying at Westminster, uh, Gerstner went to um, receive several degrees from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, and then wanted uh, to pursue academics. He was a very good high school student, uh, graduated near the top of his class and good college student, really excelled academically and, and even in seminary excelled academically, graduated with honors. And so he uh, was accepted to into PhD studies at Harvard University. And there he received his, his PhD um, in the history and philosophy of religion and uh, did a, a PhD dissertation on James McCosh. And I don't know all the the reasons why he chose uh, Makash, um, but I think I think it had to do with the fact that Makash represented, uh, you know, the tradition that he was uh, associated with himself in terms of of being a conservative uh, Calvinist, but also someone with philosophical interest. And I think um, uh, Makash helped Gershner deal with, um, you know, big some big issues. You know, how did Makash deal with Emmanuel Kant? How did Makash deal with um, Charles Darwin? And, and, and uh, Makash's answers and responses and, and reason, you know, well thought out reasoned responses to those big um, names and, and Western thoughts, you know, really helped the Christian. So I think that's uh, the reason he wrote on, on Makash. But after after PhD studies, he was pastor for a few years um, in the Pittsburgh area and wrote a lot of book reviews. And 
he was a he was a United Presbyterian pastor. That's a that was a smaller, the third largest denomination in the United States at the time. This was in the, the late forties. And um he got the attention of a, a theologian at Pitt Xenia Seminary. And Pitt Xenia was the only seminary of the United Presbyterian Church in the in the United States. And the so Addison Leach uh became aware of John Gershner's writings and eventually um, wanted Gershner to be on the faculty. And so then in 1950, Gershner became professor of church history at Pittsburgh, uh, there in, in Pittsburgh. And um, while serving there, he immediately um, associated with himself with the, with the larger evangelical movement and became a contributing editor when Christianity Day was founded in the mid-1950s. And um, during that time, he also came to oppose uh, the merger between the larger um, PCUSA and the UP Church. Gershner was very, um, uh, had a lot of concerns about liberal theology in the PCUSA and the fact that the PCUSA never adequately dealt with uh, the Auburn Affirmationists. That was a more, um, Auburn affirmation was a more liberal theological statement and called for greater toleration. And Gershner really felt that if the UP church united with the PCUSA church, that the UP denomination would just simply be swallowed up and, and liberalized. And so, um, Gershner fought, fought against that, but was unsuccessful. And, um, the two denominations came together to form what's called the, U- the UPCUSA, and then also the UP Seminary in Pittsburgh had to unite with the uh, more liberal PCUSA in se- seminary in Pittsburgh, which was called Western Seminary. And so Gerstner served on uh, that new consolidated seminary faculty. Uh, he was an evangelical minority on that faculty. Uh, but really thought to be a to be an evangelical Presbyterian witness. Um, that's where he began to make some of his contributions in terms of history and philosophy, wasn't it? At that point, but Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about his formation in philosophy? Uh, you mentioned earlier on that he had attended Gerstner had attended Westminster Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania, uh, in, in Philadelphia, <clears throat> where um, you describe in the book. Uh, a, a philosopher called Cornelius Van Til, who had a very distinctive way of approaching uh, reformed philosophical thought, didn't he? C- can, you, can you help us by, by reminding us what was distinctive about Van Til's approach and perhaps some of the reasons why Gerstner did not find it compelling? Yeah, well, Cornelius uh, Van Til was a, a well-known reformed apologist uh, and theologian, uh, but he, he advocated um, presuppositionalism, uh, that we need to presuppose God, and Gerstner really disagreed with, with that approach. He, he, he was, Gerstner was really influenced in college by, by John Orr, and uh, Orr had a, had a more of a evidentialist approach, and the book that really shaped Gerstner's mind uh, was a book called English Deism, Its Roots and Fruit, which was published in 1934 by Erdman. And um, that book is really not well known, um, but it, it shows, you know, it's a 
it shows the large sweep of the history of philosophy being connected with um, theological liberalism, and um, that's that's really the the book that uh, shaped Gerstner's mind in, in many ways. So he rejected Van Til uh, on the apologetics issue or the apologetic uh, approach, uh, but he he always you know was appreciative of Westminster Seminary and, and really was you know agreed with with Machen's analysis of theological liberalism and where it could lead. Um, so you know that's uh, kind of his main you know his intellectual formation as a, as a young person. So you, you describe in the book how Gerstner, um, as you just reminded us, becomes a church a, a church clergyman, becomes a seminary professor, uh, begins working in the areas of history and and, and philosophy as well. Um, uh, but but he's as you reminded us too, he, he's an evangelical minority in a mainstream denomination. He's part of an evangelical minority in the seminary where he's teaching. Uh, but yet he he also wants to be supportive of and involved with projects like Christianity Today, the new magazine launched, I think you tell us, in the late 1940s, uh, to, to, to advance an intellectually serious version of a conservative evangelical faith. Why does he get involved with Christianity Today when he has so many other things going on in his life? Well, even before Christianity Today, Gerstner identified with the evangelical um, movement and many many UPC um, clergymen you know identified themselves in that way and there were many strong connections between Princeton old Princeton seminary professors like Machen and the UP church and that's one of the things that the book that the book brings out that really um, were previously unknown or, or not known about very much. And so, um, one of the strategies of, uh, the old Princetonians was not to just be an influence in the PCUSA, but to establish connections with, uh, United Presbyterian Church and United Presbyterian Scholars. And one of the ways that they did that was through an organization known as the League of Evangelical Students, which really has not, um, received very much historical connection. But that organization was founded by Machen and, and the president of Zenith Seminary, Melvin Grove Kyle, and uh, they promoted evangelical and reformed scholarship, uh, you know, across the Presbyterian family and into other denominations as well. And uh, Gerstner's professor, John Orr, was a part of that organization and spoke at one of the national conventions. And I, and I, and I think Gerstner probably attended one of those, uh, LES conventions as well. Um, so I think, you know, throughout his, uh, academic career, both as a student and as a professor, he always, um, you know, was a part of that, that wider evangelical, uh, movement and conservative Presbyterian, uh, movement. But you show us in the book how incredibly intellectually serious he is as well. <clears throat> he he gets involved, as you show us, in the Yale University project to produce the critical edition of Jonathan Edwards, a project that starts when in the late 1950s, and I think only concluded within the last decade, I think. Um, so, he, you know, he, he's making all kinds of contributions. He, he's meeting all kinds of people, isn't he? Um, in the 60s and 70s, 
he's gaining a reputation through his seminary work and the, the, the opportunities that creates for him. But it's also a time, it's a time of, of struggle on the one hand, isn't it? But also a time of new opportunities. You, you tell us both about the pressure at, in his seminary to, 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 to combine uh, with the other seminary in the city, but, but also you talk about his relationship with protégés, with uh, like R.C. Sproul, who takes Gerstner's ideas really to a much broader audience than Gerstner could ever have, have found himself. The, the battles that Gerstner faced, um, you know, at Pittsburgh Seminary, um, you know, and his, his struggle with liberalism, I think in many ways motivated his scholarship. And so he becomes a, a you know, very strong promoter of Jonathan Edwards. He publishes a book, one of the, one of the first books ever published by an evangelical author from the 20th century. John Gerstner, I think, was the first one to do that. Um, he published a book on um, Jonathan Edwards and, and um, the issue of how Edwards dealt with elections. Um, so that was one of the things. And he felt that Edwards was um, kind of the key to the battle with theological liberalism. And so uh, that's why he promoted Edwards, wrote on Edwards. He was involved uh, with the Yale, um, you know, the Yale volume on Edwards' sermons. Um, but he he promoted Edwards to so many students and, and so many different lay people and pastors. And so Gerstner really uh, had a key role in the development of Edwards' studies uh, in the United States. And so I, I analyzed that and, and show the different uh, the ways that he did that. He also, you know, had a tremendous influence on R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul also came out of a United Presbyterian background and graduated from Westminster uh, College. And then Sproul came to the new seminary right as it uh, consolidated. So Gerstner was his main mentor, and they were uh, very close. And then um, Sproul launched uh, Ligonier Ministries in 1971, and um, Gerstner helped with that and became a professor at large at the Ligonier Valley Study Center. And that, and that, uh, um, you know, Gerstner was a scholar, but he also he could be a um, a popularizer, and he did write books, uh, popular books like Theology for for the Layman and things like that. And I think that was one of the unique um, things about um, United, the United Presbyterian Church is they were a much more populous um, church denomination. And even if you look at someone like James Orr from Scotland, you know he could produce very high-level academic work, but he also uh, um, oriented um, his work towards the Christian public as well. And so that that trend within the United Presbyterian tradition, the Cedar um, tradition, uh, seems to you know, have been maintained by Gerstner, and you see it in, in Ligonier Ministries today and, and trying to reach popular audiences with, you know, share with them, you know, Reformed theology. For the, for the lay people. You, you describe in the book um, Gerstner's family circumstances as well. I think you tell us that he lives literally down the road from Ligonier at one point. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. He, he lived close um, to Ligonier, um, Pennsylvania, out in the country. He had a, an estate out in the country. 
that's recently been renovated and made into a Christian retreat center. Oh. And he spent a lot of time driving around, didn't he? And, and, and you describe his life in the van. Can you tell us about how his life in the van contributed to his scholarly uh, projects? Yeah, well, one of the really fascinating things about Gershon's life is that he really, you know, he went all over uh, to speak to different, you know, groups, and he was able to extend his influence because he he was just willing to um, to travel so much, and he he would go and speak, you know, across the Presbyterian family. So he would go to PCUSA churches, he would go to Associate Reformed Presbyterian churches, he would go to Reformed Presbyterian churches. Uh, you know, he, he just, um, you know, was willing to, um, you know, speak in all these different uh, Presbyterian denominations, and, and, and he really uh, was well-loved uh, across the Presbyterian um, family, and so became very influential that way and he was um you know in his van he did have a volkswagen van he built a library and he could uh, travel different places and he would read while he was driving <laughs> and, and uh, he would you know travel very long distances um to make sure that you know uh, his his viewpoints were being heard amidst the, the different scholarly um you know discussions so he he was able to I think extend his influence uh, through all of his travels, and he taught at different seminaries. He taught at you know, obviously at uh, Pittsburgh Seminary. He also taught at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He taught at Knox Seminary. He taught various courses at Geneva College, which is the RP college uh, just outside of Pittsburgh, and um, really. You know, the, all, teaching all these different uh, schools, I think, helped extend his influence as well. Mm. Would, would it be fair to say, Jeff, that Gerstner gets interested in this broader educational um, o- opportunities because in some ways he's quite unhappy in his home seminary? Yeah, yeah, that, that's very much the case. He, um, he was, there was a kind of a, a few evangelical faculty members at Pittsburgh Seminary after it consolidated. And he was the most outspoken um, of those evangelical faculty members. And he really, really disagreed with uh, the, the theological liberalism um, and the more, some of the, even some of the more moderate uh, theological views at the seminary. He was, he was trying to be an evangelical witness and represent what the old Pennsylvanian, what the old evangelical United Presbyterian stood for. And so he, he did not want to leave the seminary because he felt that if he resigned, that voice um, would be lost. And he felt that that was important for that voice uh, to be heard, even though it was a minority um, position. Uh, so he, he did his best uh, at the seminary to try to... Um, you know, present his evangelical views to the other professors, uh, but many of them uh, really, um, you know, had had a, you know, rejected uh, Gerstner's conservative views. He did play a, a essential role in opposing um, the, the UPC USA's confession in 1967, and he um, was kind of the main. The main professor to try to to try to stop that, 
uh, confession from being adopted, and uh, he, he lost he lost that battle. Uh, but I think, in many ways, you know, since ever since that confession was adopted by the by the mainline church, the mainline Presbyterian body has has declined numerically. And so I think uh, Gershner's concerns about it, um, you know, were were well reasoned and well thought out. And I think, um, you know, Gershner in some ways has been proven right in terms of uh, what would happen to the church if they adopted that confession. Hmm. So he, he became an unhappy figure, a, a, a source of controversy, the subject of controversy. And you show in the book how even his retirement party uh, became a site of controversy. Can you remind us what happened there? Yeah, well, uh, some of Gershner's friends um, put a large, uh, got together a large retirement party, and it was a really nice uh, event, and, and there was just lots of nice um, comments made about Gershner and all of his contributions. And all the positive things that he was able to accomplish, despite all the setbacks and, and despite being marginalized at the seminary, it was really a, a joyous event. But apparently, at the event, Gerstner had made some critical comments about the mainline church in terms of their acceptance of a of a minister named Mansfield Kasemon, who was allowed um, by the Washington, D.C. Presbytery, the National Capital Union Presbytery, uh, they allowed him to be a pastor, even though he wouldn't affirm that Jesus is God. They asked him, uh, you know, is is Jesus God? And his response was, no, God is God. And um, then subsequently, Kasemon in the newspaper denied the bottle of the resurrection of Christ. And so Gershner and some other um, clergymen, most of whom were former UP pastors, uh, they tried to prosecute Mansfield Kasemon in the in the church courts of the UPCUSA, and they were unsuccessful. Hmm. But what came out of that dispute was the founding of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in 1981, and that uh, denomination started with uh, 12 churches and now has uh, around 650 uh, hmm. churches throughout the United States. Hmm. It's around this period that Gerstner comes to the conclusion that his denomination is apostate, isn't it? Which is the rationale for the establishment of the new denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. So if if he had become so disillusioned by what he perceived to be the, 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 the diseased health of the denomination in which he had served as a clergyman, why does he turn his attention at this point to publishing big, big books against subjects such as dispensationalism? Yeah, that, that's a good, a good question. Um, Gerstner, uh, you know, he was an evangelical Presbyterian and um, really, you know, even though he was in these, you know, various denominations, uh, and he tried to, uh, you know, be the best scholar that he could be, but there were, you know, there's, Parts of evangelicalism that he, you know, had disagreements with, and so he he really disagreed with uh, dispensationalism, um, and so he wrote a, a book near the end of his life dealing with that issue. He also disagreed with um, 
evangelical leaders like John Stott and the annihilationist view, which um, is, is common in, in or not, it's more associated with British evangelicalism than it is with American evangelicalism. But Gerstner felt that some of those views on hell were um, having a liberalizing tendency on evangelicalism. So Gerstner did uh, write a book on on that issue as well. And he was asked to write the book on on that by a person named Jack White, who was a Reformed Presbyterian, but had a very significant position within American evangelicalism. He was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. Mm. And so um, he, he did write that book. He was concerned about evangelicalism drifting in a, in a liberal or leftward direction. And the main reason for that is because he had experienced liberalism firsthand for so many years at Pittsburgh Seminary. And so he was always concerned or worried about evangelicals uh, drifting to the left theologically. And so he, he tried to counter uh, some of those moves. And, um, and so that was, that's one of the things that makes Gerstner unique in many ways is that he, you know, uh, he was one of the very few evangelicals in America to teach on a, at a seminary that was more liberal, but yet maintain his evangelical and conservative uh, beliefs. And he, one of the things that happened after C67, when that confession was adopted, is um, Gerstner and R.C. Sproul and uh, another gentleman whose name is Jay Grimstead, who came out of the old United Presbyterian Church, they they were the ones that launched the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy, along with the Anglican G.I. Packer and the Lutheran John Warwick Montgomery, because they were concerned about um, you know about liberal you know liberal uh, beliefs about Scripture, but also evangelicals who were who were moving leftward on the doctrine of Scripture. And the, the reason that they did this is they, they had experienced, you know, liberalism coming out of, uh, you know, Presbyterian liberalism um, coming out of the mainline Presbyterian church. Well, you, you show us how Gerstner begins as a fairly marginal figure and in some senses um, ends up as a much more marginal figure, at least within the communion in which he had spent most of his life. But But his life isn't a failure. You don't present his life as a failure, do you? Where do we see Gerstner's influence today? Yeah, I, I definitely do not see his career uh, as a as a failure. I, I think there were uh, he was marginalized. He did lose a lot of these ecclesiastical battles. But my argument is that in these losses, uh, there were many Presbyterians who became upset and and wanted you know, who agreed with Gerstner. And so I, I, I believe that what developed out of these losses is something known as um, uh, Reformed or Presbyterian Reformed Evangelicalism, or, or uh, maybe another way of saying it is, it, is that movement accelerates and actually gains strength. Uh, the more the, the mainline church becomes more and more liberal, it causes the, uh, the, the growth and expansion of Presbyterian and Reformed evangelicalism. And so I think you see um, the 
the growth of Ligonier Ministries from the early 70s to today. You see uh, all these new, um, you know, evangelical and conservative reform seminaries that, that pop up all across the country. You see the expansion of other seminaries like Gordon Conwell and Fuller that uh, continue to um, grow. And you see, you know, the, the different, um, you know, there's small reform publishing groups. There's Reformed University Fellowship, which is a, a campus ministry associated with the Presbyterian Church in America that, uh, you know, starts pretty small and yet today has a ministry on over 100 uh, plus campuses across the United States. And then you also see the influence of Ligonier in kind of a wider, um, uh, in kind of wider American evangelicalism. Uh, through people like Chuck Colton, you know, Sproul's influence on Chuck Colton. You even see it on Sproul's influence at Willow Creek Church, uh, one of the largest churches in the United States. Uh, Sproul had a, had a profound influence on the founder of that church. Uh, and so I, I do think that, um, you know, Gerstner's efforts and all these different things and biblical inerrancy, um, were not a failure and that they, and that they have actually led to the growth of um, this Calvinist-oriented evangelicalism um, that we've seen over the last 25 to 30 years. Hmm. Well, Jeff, you've written a fantastic biography. It it gives us insights into someone who's of genuinely structural significance in religious trends that we can see today, John Gerstner and the Renewal of Presbyterian and Reformed Evangelicalism in Modern America, just published in the Princeton Theological Monograph series, uh, with Whip and Stock. Thanks so much for coming on to the show today to talk about this book. Uh, before we wind up, can you tell us what you're working on at the moment? Well, I have a, um, a, a paper on the League of Evangelical Students, which Machen founded, and so I'm, I'm working on that. I'm going to have a paper published on Jigas uh, and Machen and the Influence of Classical Studies, which hmm. will be published by Westminster Theological Journal um, in about in a few months, and then I want to do something on the, the influence, the wider influence of the Covenanter, the Cedar, Presbyterian tradition and its connection to the growth of evangelicalism in the United States. Hmm, sounds fantastic. Well, listen, Jeff, you're really busy. Thanks for coming on to the show to talk about your book. Thanks for your time uh, and take care. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Crawford. I appreciate it. It's great to have you here. And thanks to everyone else for listening. I'll see you next time on New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast.